0: Hi, I'm Leslie Ludy, host of the Set Apart Podcast, biblical encouragement for women of all ages. Last episode, we talked about four ways to revive your prayer life. And it was such an important reminder for me personally, because it is so easy in our fast paced, busy world, stress-filled lives to allow prayer to just become another task. We have to check off our list and forget what a beautiful privilege it is to come into the presence of our King every single day and sit at his feet and be still in his presence. And so God has been freshly reminding me of the importance and the privilege of prayer. And I'd like to dive into that a little deeper this week. We're going to be Talking today about overcoming barriers and hindrances to a thriving prayer life. Before we dive in, I wanted to remind you that we have our Set Apart Conference coming up the first weekend of June, June 3rd through 5th, in Windsor, Colorado. If you want to join us in person, there are still a few spots left you can register for. Or if you'd like to join us via simulcast, you can register for one simulcast and that will give you access to the sessions for the whole rest of the year. And you can have as many ladies as you want join you for your simulcast. So if you'd like to share this message with your friends, friends, your family, the women in your church or community, this is a great option. And you can go to setapartgirl.com to register to learn more about the conference, or you can just click the link in this podcast description. Also, another amazing resource that I haven't mentioned for a while on this podcast is our Set Apart magazine. This is an incredible addition to your daily quiet time. It comes out four times a year. There are no advertisements in it. It's just rich and beautiful truth. And if you'd like to know more about that magazine, it's amazing for women of every age. Go to SetApartGirl.com, or again, click the link in this podcast description. Let's dive into overcoming prayer barriers. When you take a look at your life, what are the major things that hinder a thriving prayer life? For many of us, there are things like sleep, allowing sleep to sort of control our lives, poor time management, not really organizing our time to make prayer a priority, or just allowing busy- busyness to creep in. Those are some of the practical areas that hinder us from praying and having a thriving prayer life, but there are also spiritual hindrances such as a lack of real desire to pray or confusion about how to pray or the fear that prayer actually won't work and that it will just be a waste of time. So I want to dive into each of these areas, both the practical ones and the spiritual ones and help provide some biblical perspective for each one. So let's look at some of the practical areas first when we're talking about detractors from a thriving prayer life. So sleep is at the top of the list. And if you're anything like me, you probably cling pretty tightly to your your sleep because most of us are caring a lot and we really feel like if we don't get enough sleep, we're going to be exhausted. And I remember how we were so challenged. Eric and I were so challenged when we first read about William and Catherine Booth, who were the founders of the Salvation Army. They would stay up through the night praying and pleading on behalf of the souls that they were ministering to. And when we first read that story we thought, that sounds crazy, because to stay up all night long to pray was a thought that had never really even entered our minds before. Because of course, you know, it says in the Psalms that God gives his beloved rest and sleep and God invented sleep. Sleep isn't a bad thing, of course. And but then we we just begin to feel convicted. Are we clinging too tightly to that gift of sleep to the point where we're not willing to give it up if God asks? It was kind of like we were drawing a line in the sand and saying, God, you can have all the hours in our day, but once we lay our head upon that pillow, you have to wait until we're ready to wake up again before you have control. And of course, sleep is such a good thing emotionally, physically, and spiritually. So I'm certainly not trying to say that we should be sleep deprived, but one of the issues that can stand in the way, and I know I've struggled with this in my own life, is just the unwillingness to give our sleep time over to God. And if he asks us to get up earlier, or if he asks us to stay up later, just that unwillingness to say yes, Lord, to that because we're, we're very self-protective in that area. The sleep issue also kind of pokes at a very real piece of our life that may not yet be fully governed by the spirit of God. You can say he's in control of every area of your life, but then when there's that resistance or that unwillingness, when he says, will you stay up tonight and pray for an extended period of time? Will you wake up early and seek me before the the bustle and hustle of the day begins? And when we start to inwardly squirm at that kind of question, it kind of reveals that we haven't fully... surrendered every aspect of our life to God. When God began challenging Eric and I to surrender our sleep, and again, that doesn't mean we never slept. It just meant if he was asking us to get up earlier or stay up later or pray well into the night for a specific issue, that we would trust him to fuel our bodies and our minds with the strength that we needed, even if it felt like we didn't get quite enough sleep that night. God began to press on that. We began to say yes whenever he would convict us that we needed to get up earlier or stay up later for prayer and it was incredible because I expected to be dragging around all day long but the energy the spiritual energy and strength the supernatural sustaining grace that flowed into our life when we said yes when we were even willing to sacrifice our comforts and our sleep to have that time with him it was incredible how strong and vibrant he caused us to be not because we were doing all these great things by human standards but because we said Lord you are even a higher priority than this. There are definitely times when it is not practical if you have a newborn baby, if you're dealing with a health issue. So it's not that God always is asking you to give up aspects of your sleep, but are you willing? Are you willing to come to God and say, Lord, my sleep is yours. If you desire me to organize my schedule differently, go to bed earlier so that I can get up earlier to pray or stay up later so that I can have that time with you. Or maybe I'm willing to give up some of the entertainment and the frivolous things I'm doing before bed so that I can use that time in prayer or get to bed so that I can wake up early and seek you. Am I willing for that? So that is one of the most practical areas we can look at, not in a, not in a legalistic way, but in a willing way that says, Lord, I put this area of my life on the altar and I trust that whatever you ask of me, you will supply the grace and the strength for. Another practical area is the way that we manage our time. So often we think we just do not have time for prayer. And it's not always a matter of not having a time, but not prioritizing our, our time around the right things. And I know this is a really touchy issue because so many of us feel like, well, hey, I'm already doing this, this, this. I have I have all these little kids at home, if you're a young mom, and I need that time to just kind of decompress. I need time on social media. I need time to veg in front of television. I need my movie marathon time. I need my decompression time. And certainly not all of that is wrong. But so often we fritter away hours that could be used for prayer on meaningless activities simply because we're not managing our time well. Eric and I went through a season a number of years ago where we had to deliberately purge our lives of anything that could be classified as a time waster. A lot of our personal time wasters, like I said before, were not necessarily bad things, but they were things that were out of their place. They were taking too much of our time and they were robbing from things that had real eternal value. So for me, it was magazines, novels, movies, those kinds of things, social media, the, the frivolous things of this world that can so easily occupy the bulk of your free time. Eric had a list as well of following sports and following politics and just different things that weren't, were not bad in themselves, but had gotten out of their place in how he was allowing them to consume so much of his time. We both wrote down all of those areas that God convicted us about, and then we began to really take them before God because we knew how significant prayer was in our life. And we were not going to be able to move forward in a thriving prayer life unless we dealt with some of those personal time wasters that were hogging up some of the best hours of our day. And God, of course, in his gentle way, showed us small changes that we could make to our daily lives to make prayer a higher priority and get these other things that were really had no eternal value, put them in their proper place. It wasn't, again, a legalistic rule like never watch a movie again or never open social media again. It was putting boundaries around those things so that we actually could spend some of the best hours of our day in prayer. Even years later, I can't even imagine spending the bulk of my time on shallow things like I used to because I found something so much better. Being in ministry and having six children, we do have a lot on our plates, but when we make time for prayer, our life works, and that's really what it all boils down to. Jesus said, seek first my kingdom and my righteousness, and everything else you need will be added to you, and I found that is so true when prayer is in a is rightful place and we're willing to say no to some of those time wasters and manage our time accordingly to make prayer truly a priority and say no to the things that are robbing us from the ability to spend time in prayer every other area of of our life supernaturally works. So the recipe is simple, remove time wasters, replace them with prayer, put prayer in its proper place, and put frivolous activities way down on the priority list. Some of us just need to swap the order of priority where prayer becomes the highest priority and frivolous or fun activities just become a lot further down on the list where they don't hog up the bulk of our free time. So we've looked at sleep, we've looked at time management. Another area practically is busyness. And I have found in my own life that so much of busyness is saying yes to things that we really should say no to. And that might be sound a little bit simple as a solution for busyness, but saying no to the things that aren't central to what God has called you to and saying yes to the things that really matter and really point to God's calling on your life is the solution to overcoming the kind of busyness that robs our prayer life. A lot of us have said no to prayer for so long that it feels a little awkward to say yes. Time spent in prayer will multiply your effectiveness in the rest of your daily life. When you prioritize the things that God prioritizes, he makes sure that all the necessities of your life are taken care of. When you look at the life of Jesus on this earth, he only did that which his father was doing. He had a lot of weights on his shoulders, more than we could ever conceive of or imagine But yet he wasn't a busy, frenetic person, just scattered and running around all day long, which means his father wasn't asking him to do more than what was necessary. There were loads of other ministry opportunities that he actually said no to so that he could say yes to what God was putting right in front of him him. The world needs saving, but it's your business to follow God's lead and not try to tackle the problem of saving the world on your own because we can't do it anyway. Only God can do it through us. So I encourage you to take some time to prayerfully evaluate your commitments, the things that you are saying yes to currently. Is there anything in your life beyond just frivolous time wasters, things that you're committed to that are taking up a huge amount of your time and focus and, but, but yet hindering you from real prayer. These could be things like social gatherings, parties, maybe some leadership roles you've said yes to, or an overly ambitious educational or career goal where that becomes the highest priority of your life rather than your relationship with Christ. Are some of these things... Things that God wants to put his finger on and ask you to either step back from or reevaluate so that you can put first things first. If you come to God holding everything in your life with an open hand, you can be sure that he will guide you and instruct you in the art of saying yes to the right things and no to the wrong ones. Now let's look at some of the spiritual hindrances to real prayer. And one of them, which I think a lot of us struggle with, and I know it's one I can really relate to, is lack of real desire. It's hard to pray when you don't feel like praying, but it's really important to note that prayer is an acquired taste. If you don't pray often, you won't gain a love for praying prayer is work. And so at first, it's not very appealing to our natural sensibilities. The simple rule of prayer is begin praying, and then your taste for prayer, your desire for prayer will increase. The more you pray, the more you will acquire that desire for prayer, that energy for prayer, and that sense of purpose in prayer. It's like that quote I often say from Cory ten Boom, don't pray when you feel like it, have an appointment with the Lord and keep it. When you make prayer a focal point as a matter of commitment, or discipline rather than just if you feel like doing it, those feelings and desires will follow suit. All things spiritual follow the same principle. God says, trust me, just start doing it and I will soon cultivate in your soul a taste, a desire for the things of my kingdom. There are definitely times when I still battle with that sense of blah when it's time for a prayer. But the solution isn't to say, well, if I'm feeling blah about this, I guess I shouldn't pray. I've learned that the solution is to start praying. And as I begin to pray, the desire, the energy, the purpose, the fire, the passion begins to come as well prayer is hard work but it is beautiful work so when you discover prayer the way god intends it to be discovered it is so invigorating to your soul it warms your heart it it gives you joy it gives you peace that can't be found any other way It is meant to be a taste of heaven on earth. It just doesn't always start out that way. We sometimes have to discipline our schedule, our mind, our body, our soul to be centered around prayer and then allow the feelings and the emotions to be something that follows in the footsteps of that commitment. So don't be fooled by that blah feeling that might come over you when you take a step forward in prayer. Just press onward. Soon you will be experiencing that incredible reality that in his presence is the fullness of joy another spiritual hindrance that often we think to ourselves is, you know, I don't really know how to pray. I'm not sure I'm going to do it right. None of us actually starts out knowing how to pray. In our spiritual lives, we're like babies when we start out spiritually. We don't know how to eat or sleep or walk or run. And the first thing we have to do in the realm of prayer is accept the fact that we are infantile, that we need supernatural help. And Actually, the best place to start in gaining that help is prayer. Start by asking the inventor of prayer himself, God, to help you. He is such an amazing teacher and he desires to teach you how to pray. He wants to actually do this amazing work in you where he is praying prayers through you. When we yield fully to Christ and we are experiencing that reality of Christ in us, the hope of glory, we are basically getting out of the way and allowing him to put his prayer burdens on our heart and enunciate his prayers through us. God doesn't just command us to go off to prayer seminary for six years before we can really pray. He comes in and does the praying in and through us when we are yielded to him. And even a little child can pray in a way that connects with the King of all Kings. And that is very encouraging to me. It's not a formula that we have to learn or some big art form we have to develop. It's simply a yieldedness to say, Lord, I don't even know how to do this, but you pray in and through me. So begin with prayer. Even if you feel like you don't know what to do, God's spirit will meet you there and instruct you. Then another thing you can do is begin learning about prayer from people who have really given prayer a high priority in their life. A lot of us listen to others who don't have a clue about prayer, who don't believe that prayer really works. And then we gauge our experience accordingly. But I have found that when we turn to prayer giants in history past and let them instruct us, it is so invigorating spiritually. And of course, you've heard me time and time again on this podcast promote the historical Christian biographies, not because I put these men and women on a pedestal, but because I think their lives are such an incredible testimony of what a victorious Christian life is meant to look like in all these different types of lives and circumstances. And so often we don't see that in modern Christianity. It does exist, but it's not as common. And so I think reading these biographies or reading about men and women who made prayer a priority can just be a great inspiration and a great instructional tool as we're seeking to build our prayer life. So here are some of my favorite resources. Why Revival Tarries is a book by Leonard Ravenhill, which is possibly the most moving and inspiring book on prayer that I've ever read. And I read this book every few years. It is so spiritually supercharging to my soul. That is a wonderful book to pick up if you're just looking for a way to gain clarity on what prayer is even supposed to look like. Another great one is Reese Howes Intercessor. It's by Norman Grubb, and it's the story of Reese House, who was an incredible prayer warrior all throughout his life. It was really an instrumental book for Eric and I when we first began Ellerslie, which is our discipleship training program, because we wanted to build a ministry that was truly based upon prayer and an outflow of prayer. And a ministry that started praying and continued praying. Another great one is Power Through Praying by Ian Bounds. Ian Bounds has an entire collection of amazing books on prayer, but this book, Power Through Prayer, is an amazing starting point if you're sort of thinking, I don't even know where to begin. Those three are incredible examples and will get you started on this path of powerful wrestling prayer. And then the last spiritual hindrance is the question, What if prayer? doesn't work a lot of us are afraid of praying because we think it's going to weaken our faith because what if God doesn't answer us what is what if he doesn't come through for us isn't it better to just pray these broad vague general prayers and hope that maybe he might answer some of them but whenever Eric and I have really become bold and specific and aggressive and proactive and audacious in our praying our faith is built stronger it doesn't become weaker it becomes stronger Not only does prayer work, but it has altered the entirety of my existence. There have been moments when I have been in circumstances that would challenge the idea that prayer actually works. And in those moments, it would seem like the prayers that I had so faithfully and consistently prayed had somehow failed. And then in those times, the enemy comes in and says, your God can't really be trusted. But we can't be pushed around by seeming defeat. We can't listen to the lies of the enemy. At those moments where it feels like a failure, it feels like defeat, we need to rise up and say we are going to continue to believe our God and trust him to turn this entire situation around. And when we take that posture, that is exactly what God has done for us over and over again. He has turned the situation that looks like defeat and failure completely around. And that has gotten to the point in my life where when I see something that might look like defeat, I get excited to see how God is going to step in and turn what the enemy meant for evil to good, something that brings him glory. So much of prayer and faith is like the scene where Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. Is one of the most profound pictures of God's power and glory being evidenced on this earth. But it didn't start out looking very good. Jesus looked like an insensitive friend who didn't care enough to help someone who was sick. But what first appeared to be maybe a failure or a deliberate slight upon Jesus' character actually ended up being an even greater picture of his grace and glory. Now, that doesn't mean that every single time we pray for someone on their deathbed, they're going to be raised up or or pray that someone would be raised back to life. But one of the, the prayers that I began to pray a number of years ago is, Lord, this is what I'm asking you for, that this person would be healed or that this provision would come in. But I also pray that whatever is going to bring the greatest glory to your name, that is what you would do. And sometimes we have our idea of what's going to bring him the greatest glory, but he has a different way of writing the story. And so it's praying. Praying boldly and specifically, but also praying with that yielded attitude to say, Lord, whatever brings about the greatest glory to you is what we ask for. I'm going to pray for this particular specific thing, but if you want to answer it in a different way, I am surrendered to that. And that is an incredible way to begin praying boldly without feeling like you're pigeonholing God saying it has to be answered in this way. Otherwise, you would have failed me. And then let's look at what it means to be truly earnest in prayer. Because a lot of us feel a little bit lackluster in our prayer life. Becoming earnest in prayer is learning how to believe and trust our God even when our personal Lazarus, whatever that situation is for us, is dead and in the tomb for 4 days. And believing that Jesus is the resurrection and life and that he is fully able to turn what seems like a defeat into a triumphant picture of his grace and glory. I love what Andrew Bonar said. O oh, Brother, or O oh, Sister, pray in spite of Satan, pray, spend hours in prayer, rather neglect friends than not pray, rather fast and lose breakfast, dinner, lunch, and supper, and sleep too than not pray, and we must not talk about prayer; we must pray in right earnest. The Lord is near, He comes softly while the virgins slumber, so by his grace, let's begin to go through and do some house cleaning. let's remove the hindrances that are keeping us from seeing our God prove strong and able and capable. In this world today, in our personal lives today, if anything is hindering you from praying, it's keeping you from experiencing the the amazing faithfulness of God in your life. So don't let the excuses of the enemy creep in. Don't let the bustle and hustle of the culture hinder you. Rise up by God's grace and say, nothing is going to hinder me from getting to the feet of Jesus. It's like that story in the Bible where the men wanted to get their paralyzed friend to the feet of Jesus, and there were so many hindrances and obstacles in their way. There was a big crowd that they couldn't get through. There were walls of this house. They had this man on a stretcher, and they obviously could not just squeeze him in between everybody to get to the feet of Jesus, but they said, nothing is going to keep us from getting to the feet of Jesus. So they went up to the roof, they broke through the roof tiles, and they lowered this man down on a mat in front of Jesus' feet. They we're determined to say, we're going to push hindrances out of the way. We're going to push every barrier aside. We're going to go where the source of true hope and life is found and that is at the feet of Jesus. I hope you've enjoyed this week's episode. We're going to dive more into building a powerful prayer life in our next couple of episodes. Meanwhile, if you'd like to go deeper into what it means to cultivate a thriving relationship with Christ, visit setapartgirl.com and see the many resources that we have for you there. I pray you have a blessed and Christ-centered week.